Welcome to The Rising Giants with your hosts, Max Thornton and Dominic Klusik, talking with entrepreneurs and investors in the world's most rapidly evolving frontier markets. In this week's episode, we talk with Matthew Tippetts, CEO and founder of Click, a digital fintech payment platform in Cambodia. Matthew founded Click in 2016, and it is one of the most well-funded startups in Cambodia, having raised $4 million since inception. Matthew has over 20 years of experience in the telecom, media, and technology space, first as an investment banker in London working for Robertson Stevens, then as a hedge fund analyst, and now as an entrepreneur. Don't forget to check out our weekly Rising Giants newsletter on Substack, where we review this week's episode, share fascinating Southeast Asia venture capital deals and news topics across the region, provide invaluable resources to aspiring entrepreneurs and job opportunities in the region. We hope you enjoy. Really, our first question that we ask all our guests is talk us through how you got to where you are today and, and, and how your journey to Cambodia kind of unfolded. Okay. Well, I, I'd say it was a, a succession of uh, failures and successes, like everything in life. Um, so uh, I, I started my career as a tech banker over 20 years ago, uh, working for one of the uh, big Silicon Valley tech banks in, out of London. Um, you know, my path to entrepreneurship has started very early on in the sense that I always wanted to work with entrepreneurs. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, even though I'm, a, I'm the late bloomer in the family. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, after that, I, um, I did my MBA and went on the buy side. So I was working in distressed private equity and then for an American hedge fund. Um, got bored of that and created my own advisory firm. And that's what's got me to Asia and to, to Cambodia 10 years ago. And uh, we were advising companies like uh, Orange for the mobile licenses in uh, Myanmar. And uh, basically, this is how uh, I got close to the fintech market and saw that there was an opportunity. Uh, and uh, that's how we... I basically started the idea of Click, mainly because when we were looking at some of our clients on the retail side of things in Cambodia, we were seeing that there was massive issues um, when it came to lack of data and efficiency and practicality and just getting digital payments running. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's what got me to, uh, to start uh, Click. Okay, great. And just out of curiosity, what were your... Um... What were your first impressions of Cambodia, both business and, and socially? <laughs> oh, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a loaded question. Um, basically, let's put it this way. Um, I, when I came to Cambodia, I knew Myanmar relatively well because I have an older brother who's been there for, for nearly 30 years. And uh, so I, I knew Myanmar. And uh, Cambodia is very different from Myanmar. Uh, so, uh, when I came here, the first month was difficult. I was, I was not a happy camper. Um, and what Cambodia does to everybody is like all the defects became reasons for the charm after one month. And so I, uh, I started enjoying the country and, uh, 10 years later, I'm, I'm very happy and still here. Okay, great. And when did, um, when did the idea of Click first first come into your mind, and was that was that at an early point when you arrived here, or how did that how did that um, sort of spark unfold? So that came up. Uh, the first idea came five six years ago, 
And uh, I only put it in action really four or five years ago when we did a, a market feasibility study. So we spoke to 1,800 businesses and uh, over 1,000 individuals to just understand you know, how people were doing payments, uh, what were they ready to do uh, in different scenarios, uh, if they had different kinds of digital services, what are the trust factors, what are what people see as the roadblocks and the things which concern them, and, uh, you know, basically uh, getting their opinion on a few embryonic ideas of click to see if uh, these things would, would hold water or, or not, and the feasibility study turned out to be incredibly positive. And uh, it proved again one thing, which is that the Cambodian market is an ideal market for testing new technologies because one, you've got uh, all the infrastructure. Uh, you know, everybody's got a smartphone in, in, in an urban sit setting. Um, everybody's got access to the most affordable data. And 70% uh, of the population is less than 30 years old. And, you know, as of today, I think 12 million out of the 16 and a half million people on Facebook. So these are all early adopters and, and, and digital natives. So um, the propensity for people to try new things is massive. Uh, and it's a very interesting representative market of the Southeast Asian market, I find. So uh, if something works here, chances are if you have a very scalable business model, it will work well um, across the region because we, we find very similar problems. Uh, and, and the problems we solve uh, and we will solve at, at Click are, are really global problems. But you know, when you look at Southeast Asia, the, particularly in Southeast Asia, when it comes to uh, you know, the amount of, uh, of cash transactions being done and the fact that there's uh, more people with smartphones than there are people with bank accounts. So uh, the fact that there's uh, there's an opportunity for digital payment. Okay, great. And just and just to give the audience um, some perspective on on Click specifically, could could you just explain in, in um, briefly what what the what the company is all about and what you're trying to what you're trying to achieve in, in the country and beyond? Okay, um, so Click is uh, you know an enabler. Right, it's, it's a data-driven enabler. Now, what does it enable? Yes, it enables payments and it enables any payment. Uh, basically, we will be able to transform any smartphone into a payment terminal where you can take a, a card and tap on it to basically process a payment. So you don't need a payment terminal anymore. So it transforms the whole business model of, of payment acceptance because you don't need a payment terminal uh, and it becomes a business where you download an app and in five minutes, you as a merchant can accept any digital payment, whether it's from a bank account, via Bakong, via uh, a card, uh, via another wallet. It's just the platform for enabling any payment, right? But it's a means to an end, right? The key objective is to capture and protect and enrich data so that we can help businesses for the first time, get a clear view of who are their customers, right? The reason why the online business is so powerful and growing so fast is because it's ultra convenient, but it's also because they understand their customers incredibly well, right? Whether it's 
Alibaba or Amazon or Lazada. I mean, these guys know where you live, who you are, what you like, and what you could buy in the future. Uh, and that's because they have a lot of data. Now, Southeast Asia, retail, 5% is online. And that's what most people talk about, our oh, payment gateway, e-commerce, and so on. But 95% is happening in the streets. Okay, now we've got lockdown, we've got this COVID crisis, of course, it's much less. But it is still the vast majority of retail. And these people, especially when you still collect 85% of your payments in cash, don't have any data. Now, these businesses would be able to grow their businesses way more and way more sustainably if they had that data. If they had the tools to enable these customers to get closer to them and to basically uh, manifest their loyalty to them because they see that that business understands them, they have an improved customer service and so they continue repeat purchasing from them. And that's really the value proposition we have to merchants is to help them sustainably grow their business by enabling them to understand their customers via the data that we capture and we protect and so on. So that's basically, uh, you know, in a long winding way, what, what, what value we bring to, uh, to merchants. Okay, and in particular, is there, sorry, is there a particular type of merchant that you would, that you would target, like a, a set amount of um, revenue that they'd be making a year or any particular industry that you'd be looking at? Are you, are you pretty agnostic in that regard? No, uh, this, is, this is the beauty of, of, of what we're doing is that our platform can work for the smallest of businesses, you know, the hawker, the market who's selling his fresh produce to the largest of businesses you can find. Uh, because it's entirely about, you know, enabling you to do payments, whoever you are, whether you have a bank account or not, um, whether uh, you live in the city or, or, or you're in the province, uh, whether you're a small business or large business, whether you're fully incorporated or, or you're not, um, it works for everybody. Of course, the platform tailors itself to, to your needs, uh, and it's very polyvalent from that point of view, but uh, it's a universal user case, right? Uh, as long as you've got a smartphone and a photo ID, you can have that full access to, to, to most of our services. Okay, understood. And, and yeah, talk, talk a bit about the, um, the early stage of the company. I believe you were, it was founded in around the 2016 period. What have been some yeah. of the, um, the earlier struggles of, of, of getting a business off the ground in, in a country like Cambodia? And how's that, how has that journey um, moved forward? Well, it's been a very long journey. Right. Uh, we've been around for a few years. Uh, we still have to generate revenues and we're hoping to launch in, in the coming months. Uh, but uh, how it started is, well, simple. You first need to have a vision and then you need to build a team which shares into that vision and can improve it. Uh, and that's very difficult. Right. You're in Cambodia. It's not like you're going to find all the skills and the best people and so on. So uh, it's, it's difficult to build a team. So but that was the challenge number one. And once you start building a team, well, you start, you know, driving costs and hence funding. Funding is uh, is perhaps uh, 
I would say the uh, the largest challenge because when you're a startup, it's pretty much uh, what you need to do all the time. Uh, so uh, it, you're being in Cambodia, uh, you, you also ha have to deal with the prejudice of Cambodia. But why Cambodia? Oh, Cambodia is too far away. It's frontier. Oh, it's too small of a market. Oh. And, and, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, evangelizing, I'd say, to, to investors to say, hey, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing market. Uh, it's a market which is an amazing springboard for scalable technologies. Um, you know, Cambodia is not that difficult as people would think. Uh, but, uh, you know, raising funding is, is a number one challenge, I'd say. Okay, and, and on the topic of raising funding, have is that mostly been a, a domestic effort or more of an more of an international or regional effort? How is that how is that differed by where the, the investor is is based? Uh, interestingly enough, uh, if I look at the first round of funding we did, we did close to 3.9 million on our seed round. Uh, one third of it came from Cambodia and two thirds of it came from outside Cambodia. Uh, and uh, a large majority of it came from people who were in the um, fintech payment technology uh, financial services sector. Uh, and, and yes, most of them were outside of Cambodia, of course, uh, when it comes to the big ones. But uh, we, we have some pretty large also local investors we're, we're very happy to have. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's pretty diversified from that point. Okay, great. And, and getting, getting up more, more to the present day, and you said, you know, you're going to be launching the, um, the product within the next few months. Um, how, how have you built, built traction in, in, in these last few years to kind of, to build you up to, uh, the launching of, of the product in the market, um, in 2021? So, uh, well, we started, a, a you know, a, a year, a couple of years ago, when we when we started building our activation team, you know, to speak to merchants and to explain the concept of the product we wanted to launch, and we started getting support, right? Because this is was what we figured out when we did the feasibility study that there would be a market for this, right? We are solving a real problem. Um, you know, merchants don't really realize it, but when they see what we wanted to do. And the concept, they were like, well, yeah, that would solve a lot of things. Uh, and so they started signing up very early on uh, into our beta program. And gradually, we've built now close to 4,000 merchants locations, which have signed up. Um, so it's, it's pretty large. And uh, basically, now we have uh, most of the platform functional. So uh, we can actually, uh, we're better testing right now, uh, doing transactions to, to test the platform and make sure the UI and the UX work. So now it's easier to convince because we can just show the apps uh, on a phone and say, hey, this is how it works, this is what it does. And, uh, and, and, and the feedback has been uh, very, very positive actually. Actually in on certain instances, it's been actually better than what we expected. Uh, so uh, we're, 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 pretty, uh, we're pretty happy, um, but uh, the challenges is always back to funding where we're raising our Series A and, uh, you know, ticking the final boxes uh, to, to, to get the license and, and officially launch uh, in the next few months. 
And maybe just a quick question around the around funding. How would you rate the access of funding in Cambodia just in general? Um, you know, the fintech sector is obviously specific and faces its own challenges, but would you say just in general across all the other sectors and the ecosystem in the country, you would see the same in terms of funding, um, in terms of uh, funding challenges? I think if, if you were based out of Singapore, you'd have much less funding challenges just because you've, you've got a much more mature market when it comes to, uh, you know, venture capital, angels, and all that stuff. When, when you look at Cambodia, it's, it's still uh, early, uh, early stage, uh, right? It's growing, it's getting better and better. Um, but uh, if, if you look at the FinTech payment space, um, you know, most of the payment guys are, are not startups, are, are proper corporate entities, right? With, with large corporates, very few of, of, of the licensed companies are, you know, the traditional small startup. They're not, right? A lot of them are international companies. A lot of them are uh, large co corporates or very well-funded ventures from high net worth individuals who've just basically said, I want to have a payment license. I'm going to throw, you know, uh, X million dollars at it and, uh, and build my business in that. So uh, um, I, I would say that in the payment space, there's not that many pure startups it's uh, it, it's it's quite difficult i think we're we're an oddity uh in, in the market yeah i think right in saying that there's there's over there's over there's nearly 30 payment licenses in the country as well as um 60 mfis and over 50 banks so like to what extent would you say this the financial sector overall is is very very saturated in cambodia i i don't know if it would be I would call it saturated, mainly because if you look at uh, the, the penetration of bank accounts and so on, it's, it's pretty low, uh, right? I mean, the amount of people who have a bank account is perhaps 30% of the population. And if you add that to the uh, deposit taking MFIs, you're perhaps getting to 40, 50% of, of the adult population with, with, with accounts. So uh, relative to other Mekong region countries like, like Thailand and, and Vietnam, the, they have higher penetration. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's saturated. What I would say is that there's a lot of players. It's a very fragmented market. And uh, I think uh, when we look at payment in general, uh, you know, fragmentation is perhaps the number one problem, right? You know, a lot of, you know, non-interoperable systems competing against each other and, and capturing very little scale, right? I mean, your wallet X, uh, you know, you're going to capture perhaps half a percent, a percent or 2% of the revenues of a business. Uh, that's not a very scalable business. Um, it's, a, it's a problem. Uh, and that fragmentation causes that to some extent. So, um, you know, a lot of people and pundits have been saying that the banking sector would see uh, consolidation. Um, I, I still see more banks coming into the market. So uh, it's not for today. Surely for tomorrow, but not today. More and more banks are coming to the market. I mean, this week alone, uh, Wing has, has taken the momentous step to become a bank. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but, but even within the, within the payment space, but it is, there is this race to the bottom that's happening whereby, you know, that no one's going to be charging fees for transactions. So when you talk more about um, some of these add-on services that you're going to be 
rolling out for for merchants can can you go into that in a bit more detail about how um how payment payment platforms can try to um add new products uh, in order to increase revenues i'll start with a story and an, and an analogy um which is look at what happened in the telco space right 15 20 years ago you used to pay your mobile phone bill by the minute uh, or by the gigabyte and uh, then came in the uh, the voip players you know the whatsapps the facebook messages the telegrams and so on and uh, i think a couple of years ago or three four years ago um you know more minutes were done on these free platforms than were done uh via the traditional mobile network and uh the pricing changed right you even if you have a prepaid card you you pay packages right you don't really pay per minute anymore um so it became commoditized right payment is going to see exactly the same thing happen right uh you don't pay anything when you're using whatsapp uh you know we're doing a call right now on zoom um you know you're you're, you're not paying by the minute right it's you've got a subscription you've got a plan and, and that's it the same thing is going to happen to payment so payment is a commodity uh and um the cost of transactions are going to go to zero because technology is going to be stamping out what is the number one cost of payments which is fraud and the price of transactions is going to go to zero right our business plan includes that that you know by a certain point we will be charging zero in the future uh, because that's where the market is going where the value is and the value creation is is helping provide value to merchants and consumers monetizing the data that you collect and more importantly by gaining the trust of people because you protect that data and you monetize it in ethical ways and in sustainable ways to help these businesses improve their services improve their experience onboard customers faster and cheaper and reduce their costs while you know uh improving the customer service with their customers who are going to you know be like oh well now i i, I you know i I'm, I'm happy to work with these guys i get 15 20 percent cash back you know i get surprises i get great service they understand what i want um customer service is is, is, is much more straightforward payment now is just i tap my phone and boom it's done right it becomes very convenient uh so these are the key differentiating factors which i think are critical which is which are going to be driven around data uh that's where it is the the transaction in of itself is a commodity it's going to go to zero okay and yeah understood have there been any pushback from merchants if any on on you know trying to offer them these these new ways basically new ways of looking at how they can use data to uh, further strengthen their businesses well actually we we were astonished on the reverse in the sense that in our business plan originally we had certain expectations of you know what merchants uh would be willing to do like you know uh, utilizing our loyalty programs and so on and uh when we look at the merchants which have signed up uh with us for our beta um you know 90 of them want the loyalty 
which is way higher than we ever expected. Uh, so um, I think uh, the propensity for people to understand the benefits of loyalty and data and, and how it can help uh, generate repeat purchasing is something that uh, the Cambodian market, at least the merchants we're speaking to, absolutely understand. And it, it's, it's quite, I mean, it's something you can sort of predict uh, because me being a Westerner, right? I, I, I grew up in Europe. Uh, you know, in Europe, they use social media in a certain way. When I came to Cambodia, one thing which amazed me was how businesses use social media effectively, right? Now, most restaurants have a Facebook page, uh, right? They understand how to engage customers, how to use social media. So, uh, you know, uh, it's not because they're getting 85% of their payments in cash that these guys don't understand uh, the power of social media and data and engaging customers online and all that kind of stuff. They, they, they do understand it, right? There's that prejudice for foreigners when, you know, we tell them about the Khmer market, they're like, but uh, are merchants going to understand these data-driven services? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, they'll adopt them faster than people in your country. Uh, because they are early adopters and they're digital natives. Actually, yeah, just 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 touching on Facebook, I'd be interesting to get your perspective. Um, you know, they've got twelve million people on their platform right now um, in Cambodia. What what do you think a product like DM could do in somewhere like Cambodia? That's that's their um, their cryptocurrency that they're launching in order to pay between, uh, you know, basically allow users to to transfer. Uh, in that, do you think do you think that that could be a long term competitor within this space? Well, um, I, I'm. I, let's put it this way: when it comes to these things, uh, I'm not an expert, so uh, I'm not going to try myself at predicting things because I'll fall flat on my face. Uh, but let's put it this way: uh, I think we all know that Facebook had to rebrand dramatically from the first iteration, and now they call it DM, but. The first iteration was met with um, a lot of pushback. Uh, so hopefully this new iteration will, will get better received. But, uh, you know, when it comes to crypto, certain countries are very much uh, against them, while some other countries are more permissive. So uh, for Cambodia, I, I don't think it's going to have, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't really see uh immediately in the immediate future um uh, a large impact um you know I, I i think it's it's still a little bit of a stretch to go from my social media platform to well i'm going to do my payments and put my money on it and all that kind of stuff um i i think it's a, 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 a little bit of a stretch but that's my personal opinion and as i said uh you know i, I don't want to fall flat on my face and make predictions so uh um, I think it's not in the immediate future, and later on, I, I don't really know, frankly. Okay, understood. And yeah, just just um, to broadening out a little bit more, just on your on your kind of milestones for for the next few years, looking at 2021, 2022, um, what, what what do you what do you kind of expect to achieve in those in these next two years, uh, whether whether that be in Cambodia or you know, possibly expanding into some some other markets once um once you once you've launched here. 
Okay, so uh, obviously 2021 for us is an important year because we've got two main milestones, right? The number one is raising our Series A. The number two is commercially launching in Cambodia. Um, we are already in discussions with partners in other countries, uh, such that two, 2022 would be the year where uh, we would enter at least a couple of more markets. And uh, over the next three years, I would say that the objective would be uh, to be into five, six markets minimum um, across Southeast Asia and potentially another continent. Our platform is, is eminently scalable, right? The way we've built it and designed it, if we go into another country, technically it's about adding a currency and adding a language, fulfilling the regulatory requirements, and then building an activation team and uh, a customer service team in those specific countries to support the customer base and drive the, the scalability uh, via our strategy in terms of our, our go-to-market uh, and replicate what we're doing in Cambodia in these other markets. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about really being very scalable and hence for us, it's, it's, about speed to scale and, and scaling up as fast as possible. So yes, we have uh, very uh, ambitious uh, objectives, but uh, we think we have the right technology, we've got the right positioning, and what we're seeing in Cambodia is is, is confident in us. Okay, and, and being you know being the leader of Click and and you know looking after a team of uh, fifty people, what what's what's that been like for you? Um, kind of bringing in bringing in a lot of this human capital, trying to create this collective culture and buy-in how have you how have you been able to to build that up and and what have been some challenges or struggles that you've faced with that um i i think the the number one difficulty right is um you, you're building a team uh it's not easy right you're dealing with people there's no one size fits all uh you know Communication is critical, but communication is always a thing you can always improve. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, my experience has been that we've pretty much done every mistake in the book. So uh, we, we've learned a lot from that, but it's, it's been a hard year to pass and we've still got a lot to learn. So communication is critical, uh, you know, communicating your vision so that people understand what they're doing, I think is critical. I think it's something we need to do better. Now, if we look at our, our, our churn in terms of people since we've started, uh, you know, with the team and everything, it's it's way below the industry. So I guess that if I look at it over the last three years, um, we've we've done pretty well. I think we've done some things better than better than others. Uh, so I think that's that's a part which is which is a, which is good. Um, Funding has an impact, right? Because uh, when 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 you're building a business and you've got 55 people, I mean, obviously uh, you've got responsibilities. You're burning cash because you're not yet generating revenue. So funding becomes critical, and it puts a lot of pressure uh, on everybody. Um, you know, uh, we've had tough moments. Uh, we'll have more tough moments, uh, and and managing that is 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 critical, and it's not easy. Uh, I think every startup goes through these kinds of growing pains. Uh, so it's, it's really the, uh, the, the, the obvious stuff. Uh, does that answer properly the question? Yeah, yeah, I think, no, I think that does. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear um, how that's, 
yeah, how how that how you've had to deal with that. Has there been any? Have you learned sort of anything from I guess dealing with local staff versus bringing in um, some more uh, international staff? Have there been any any sort of learnings there? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm um, you know the the most talkative person and and uh you know uh, i i'm not i'm a relatively shy person so i i, I tend to uh to, to to keep uh to to you know uh once you've got 55 people you can't be spending a lot of time with everybody unfortunately even though i'd like to but it's it's just not possible and um you know uh, it's especially now that we've got the, uh, the lockdown it makes it virtually impossible but um you know the 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 key things is is really uh, you know uh, being able to 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 communicate properly and to to be culturally attuned, right? Um, and we've done a lot of mistakes. I mean, we have, and 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 you see that in in recruiting, right? I mean, we have made a lot of mistakes in recruiting where we could clearly see that. You know the team was not gelling the people sometimes were not team players uh were not reacting properly to uh the the local staff and creating a lot of tension and so it's a it's a learning curve and uh it's interesting because um for specific roles we've had repeated errors uh so uh yeah I, i'd say that um it's 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 been a learning experience uh but uh I would never say that we're good at it because we were learning all the time, all the time. No, understood. And maybe just to expand back out a little bit, um, since coming to Cambodia, how have you seen the attitude and culture of entrepreneurship develop over time? Well, let's put it this way. 10 years ago, I mean, the tech ecosystem was inexistent. Um, and if we look at what's been happening over the past four, five years has been tremendous. Uh, you know, people will say, yeah, it's small and everything. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's growing uh, quite fast. Obviously, with what's happening, there's been a bit of a slowdown. But, you know, when you look at industries like e-commerce, fintech, and so on, these are the key industries which, you know, can be the silver lining of this crisis because it's going to drive more digitalization. Uh, so, so it's great. Uh, I think you have a tremendous amount of goodwill from people who want to participate in 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 this sector, um, you know, and it's natural in a certain way because you know most of the businesses in Cambodia are you know SMEs or micro SMEs, right? Uh, so uh, it's 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 sort of a natural one. Um, now, obviously, you know, to bring it to a level where you've got uh, you know, an ecosystem of a lot of proper startups and opportunities, you need, you need some maturation, you, you, you need people to, uh, you know, be properly coached and learn about governance, about, you know, compliance, about all sorts of things, which you need to build a, a sustainable business. But that's coming and it's coming fast. And, and there's quite a few institutions and groups uh, and incubators, which which are helping that. So uh, I, I think it's very exciting. I think it's great. Yeah, understood. And 
kind of touching back on the SMEs and micro SMEs or just this, the early stage startups in general, um, you did touch on a little bit earlier saying that funding is one of the major, is probably the major challenge. What would you say are some other challenges for these companies uh, in Cambodia? So beyond funding, I would say it's recruiting, um, you know, finding the right skills, um, creating the right skills, because sometimes you cannot find the skills, but you need to identify people who have the capacities and who, uh, who, 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 who can grow and acquire these skills. And so you as, as a startup need to be in a position to, to, to provide them and train them to acquire these skills. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy. This is one of the things which makes me uh, very happy when I look at our team is, you know, we, we've had a few incredible success stories where we had people coming in, you know, at, at, at internship level, you know, a couple of hundred bucks a month and who after a few years uh, are, are, are doing close to a thousand and have, have been incredibly uh, self-driven, um, you know, ambitious, uh, willing to, to work hard and learn and learn new skills without us even asking them, you know, and, and just grabbing more responsibilities and growing into their roles. And it's great to see that. And uh, we've, we've been lucky enough to find a few of, 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 these, uh, of these great people. Uh, and uh, frankly, we need, we need more of them. And so uh, recruiting is, is really, I think, the, uh, the, the second largest challenge to find these people and, and create the environment to grow these people, uh, grow their skills, because uh, it's not by uh, importing foreigners that we're, we're going to transform the industry dramatically. Uh, it's going to come from with it. Yeah, agreed with that. And especially over the next five to 10 years, I think there will be a lot of um, you know, it, it'll be, a, it'll be very difficult, um, for uh, foreigners to be able to come in and maybe, uh, you know, find a position that may align because of the talent and skills that will be developed within the country, maybe to double click in with, uh, the specific human capital skills. Uh, what do you think are uh, around those are lacking in the market at this moment? In terms of, uh, skills? Yes. In terms of skills, uh, maybe, um, you know, what is it that you feel like you have to maybe just provide more specific training on when uh, someone comes into a uh, position at your company? I think uh, really the, the thing is the technology is moving incredibly fast. So there's always new languages uh, and so on, uh, new ways of developing software so that like things like Flutter and, and so on. And uh, the, the problem is we don't have, it's difficult to find, you know, developers with five, six years of experience, right? Uh, so, so the key thing is, is to find people who, uh, you know, have the capacity for, for absorbing a lot of new stuff and for learning quickly and who have the motivation to, to, to really continue going forward. Uh, and, uh, and and stay with the company and and, and build up their skills. Um, so uh, I, I I think it, to keep it basic, it's it's really about you know uh, finding people with a lot of experience. Uh, that's the thing which lacks. Um, now you can import it, but that's not the the the, the long term solution. 
the long-term solution is is to get people who can train these 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 young ambitious developers and and get them to build that experience faster right um and so the skills is propensity to learn being motivated um you know uh being i, I wouldn't say reasonable but the, the the thing is there is a propensity for people to uh job hop and i think it's it's an error when you're looking at trying to build a career to just job hop because you can get a higher salary uh it's important to get a higher salary but it's also good to build a career and if you're in the right place to get as much training as possible and and, and try to grow within your role as, as as much as possible especially in startups like us i mean it's not it's not a rigid structure right it's a startup right you, you need to be very uh flexible with your job description because when you need to get stuff done well you need to get it done right whether it's your skill or not you need to try and take a crack at it and and, and get it done uh, and that's what builds experience so uh you you have to be willing to go through that and patient enough and, and perseverant enough to uh, to do it Understood. And maybe to shift gears a little bit, as as you've said over the past several years, um, you know, Click and you you face challenges of how to grow your and scale your business. Um, how do you handle adversity and doubt in those situations? Huh. Uh, how do we face adversity and doubt? Um, okay, doubt is something uh, you need to, um, you need to reduce doubt, um, but you need to put yourself in question all the time, right? I mean, if you are riddled with doubt, you're not gonna be very uh, motivated and you know, you, you're gonna be questioning your vision all the time, right? Uh, you need to have a clear vision and stick to it and execute. Uh, so doubt, you need to transform that and say, okay, always put yourself back into question or try to. I mean, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I've got a lot to learn, but up to now, this is something I've, I've tried to improve uh, and to listen, all right? You have a team, uh, you know, uh, try, try to listen. Um, so uh, that, that's, that's one of the key things when it comes to, uh, to doubt. Adversity is part of the game in the way I see things. Um, and uh, I did a speech uh, once for, for a friend who's got a think tank. And um, they asked me to discuss about what I thought was one of the key managerial skills or, 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 or things which are really important uh, for when you're working in a startup. And it came down to persistency right? You do not give up, right? You face adversity. Hey, you've got a problem to solve. As I said before, you know, when you were asking, how do you get there? Well, it's a succession of failures and successes. Um, you're going to have both. Uh, and uh, adversity, you need to just get over it um, and be persistent because the more you try to do something, at some point, the law of averages will kick in and you will gradually get better at it. Now, 
you need to keep your eyes and ears open to put yourself back in question and, and make sure you're understanding what's going on and make sure you're not doing a mistake. But, uh, you know, how you deal with adversity is persistence, right? Um, that's, that's it. Yeah, and, and, and touching a little bit more on persistence and what habits do you install on in yourself to uh, keep that persistence and to stay motivated? Um, kind of trying to push forward in this vision and your goals with Click? Um, one is put yourself in a situation where you're not hedging. Now, it may sound funny because I, I used to be a hedge fund manager and we used to have to run our portfolio on a risk neutral basis. So we always had to hedge. Uh, but um, when you're an entrepreneur, you need to basically not think of plan B. You need to think of plan A. You have a vision, you stick to it. Okay, you can modify it because the markets change, the circumstances change, and, and, and you need to pivot, right? You always have to be ready to pivot, but that's why it's important to always put yourself back in, into question. But you need to stick to a general vision um, and, uh, and, 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 be, and, and be persistent on, uh, on that one. So number one is have a vision, believe in it, and uh, put everything you have in it. Don't hedge. You know, uh, you know I, I make a bet 100% unclick, and that's that, right? My interests are fully aligned with, with my investors because uh, that's it. Uh, you know, there's, there's no alternative. We're gonna make it work. Uh, and I think if you wanna keep motivated, um, all the time, it's impossible, you know, everybody goes through cycles, you know, you're in a good mood, you're in a bad mood, you're tired, you're feeling energized, uh, you're happy, you're unhappy, you're depressed, uh, you know, everything moves into cycles. So the, the, the key thing is, is to keep at least a compass heading, right, to your vision, and uh, keep that a, 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 as, a, as a guiding uh, light. And um, you know, don't worry about, yeah, one day it's bad, one day it's good. Just, just, just be persistent at trying to execute as best as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't, don't try to think about plan B or things like that. I, I, you know, I, 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 I don't really do that because uh, it means you don't believe in yourself to a certain extent. Right. Um, yeah. Having that 100% buy-in into anything that you do for yourself, that's really where you're going to drive. And and that's really where success kind of shines through, especially when others look at a business or a product or something along those lines. Um, maybe to touch a little bit on your uh, on the personal side, um, have there been any form uh, any books or podcasts or anything that you've listened to that's really inspired you or that you would suggest to the audience that would maybe help them in their entrepreneurship journey? Uh, yeah, one book in particular. Um, it's called Principles from uh, Ray Dalio. And uh, I, I think everybody should read this. Uh, why? Because um, it's basically uh, about building within a company a meritocracy. And, you know, putting in place what, what he calls radical truth and radical transparency, where basically you know, there's no dancing around, there's no pretending, there's no second guessing. You give 
you know, proper feedback and uh, you make sure that, you know, it's not about you pulling rank, it's about you making sure that the best ideas get implemented from whoever in the organization has these ideas and to make it a meritocracy and to make it as transparent and truthful as possible so that you build up trust now it's a bit difficult because I remember a couple of years ago uh, we, we brought in a, a management um, consultant who uh, who helped us for some management training, and I was like, okay, well, I, this is what I want to implement, you know, radical truth, radical, and he was like, oh, this is going to be controversial, you know, like Cambodians are not going to like this, you know, it goes a little bit against their culture and so on, and it's like, no, nah, um, I think. We, we need to push this. I know it's going to be difficult, uh, but I think it's important that, uh, you know, we build a meritocracy and, and we have these principles in place. So we try to apply it as, as best as we can. And I think it's something everybody should read because uh, it, it really looks at um, how, how to build a, a, a sustainable organization. And having a formative career, starting out in banking and you know becoming the CEO and founder of Click, have you had any mentors that have helped you along the way to maybe um, helped uh, kind of wade through the murky waters of entrepreneurship or just even uh, figuring out more about yourself as a person? Uh, hmm. I would say that if I looked at my early career, um, mentors. Uh, have been perhaps some of the managing directors I worked with when, when I started my career, uh, you know, uh, Robert Pierce, Scarlett Brie, uh, people who really had an impact on me in terms of, of shaping my work ethic and, and, and pretty much beating the crap out of me um, in terms of, you know, uh, challenging me with work, challenging me with a vertical learning curve, uh, which, you know, got me to, to, to have a, a, a pretty good career when when I was a when I was a banker and and where I learned a lot. Uh, so um, you know I think it, it brings it to the micro level. Um, now uh, as an entrepreneur, um, I think the, the the luck I've had is to meet people who become advisors who were themselves serial entrepreneurs and could share a lot of experience. Um, and can be reassuring uh, in certain situations. Uh, so it's, it's always good to have some people when you're going through a tough moment or you're facing a massive challenge who you can speak to and they'll be like, uh, you know what, don't worry about it. This is the name of the game. You'll get through it. You know, just do this and do that and stick to this and stick to that. And we're lucky we've got quite a few of those advisors uh, on board. Uh, Phil King, who's who's uh, a serial um, you know uh, entrepreneur and, and fintech investor, uh, invest in click. Um, you know, uh, Aaron Chipper, who's one of our advisors, also. Um, you know, um, Jeff de Lanversin, who's a media guy, who's a serial entrepreneur. Um, Andres DeVos, uh, himself a serial entrepreneur, uh, amazingly helpful. Uh, uh, so uh, we, we've been very lucky to, 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 to have 
these, these advisors uh, around us to, to support us. And, you know, obviously you're working day and night to get your business, um, you know, to keep on uh, moving forward in your business. And it would be interesting to hear about some of the hobbies and activities that you have to wind down and to relax. What are some of the things that you do, uh, you know, once you, once you leave the office? So one of the things I used to do in Europe before I came here, I have a hobby, which is uh, classic, classic cars and, and, and so on. And uh, I used to restore them and, uh, and make a business out of it. I used to restore them, sell them, enjoy them. And when I came to Cambodia, obviously cars is difficult to bring in here. So I, I brought in my, my very old motorbike. I have a, a, an old uh, BMW R65, which is 40 years old this year. And uh, I fully restored it. And um, I'm the butt of every joke at home because the bike spends <laughs> more time in storage because I'm always fiddling around with it. I'm changing this, changing that, changing this. So if you came home, which you can't because of the lockdown, um, you would see it's in the garage in pieces. And it spends pretty much half the year in that condition. So uh, that's, that's my thing. It's mechanical. It's, uh, it's therapeutic. Uh, I love doing that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, that's, that's my hobby. Great. And our traditional closing question that we like to ask every guest is, what is the most important advice that you have ever been given? Uh, I'd say it's my dad's. My dad always told me, because I was an annoying little kid, because I asked a lot of questions and I was difficult. Uh, and he always told me, because you know, when you're a kid and you're unhappy, you say, oh, I don't care. And he'd say, people who don't care are made to care, which is pretty much a concept of karma, right? Whatever you do today, one day or another, you're going to pay for it. So uh, I think that's, 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 uh, that's perhaps one of the best advice I've, I've come to, uh, to, to get from my father and to experience. So it's true. I love that. Thank, thank you for, for sharing. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show today. We, we really learned a lot, uh, not only about the fintech ecosystem in Cambodia, but also about yourself. And uh, really want to thank you again for, for taking the time. Wow.